Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, I am super delighted to welcome Dasha Vasileva to the show. Welcome, Dasha. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. I also have my trusty co-host, Mandy, on the, show, on the line. Welcome, Mandy. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Dasha. We're thrilled to have you. Uh, Dasha is the Director of Sales East for Sixth Sense. I've known Dasha for a, a bunch of years as she has blown away, I think, every target that Sixth Sense ever had for her. I think she was the top rep five years running until they just said, like, we can't hand out any more awards to you. You have to go manage people so they can win awards. So we're going to talk about what it's like to, you know, really learn about becoming an exceptional salesperson and the people that she's learned from and a little bit of her career journey as well. Before we get into that, Dasha, I want to get to know you a little better or help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. What are you reading right now now that you've moved into a leadership role? Sure. And super excited to be here. I, I've been a big fan of, you know, Jeremy and Sales Loft and, and obviously the podcast. Right now I'm reading a book called Who? The Challenger Sale has always been a Bible of of mine as a seller and as a BDR, but now as I'm focused on, you know, building a best in class team, I'm really learning how to understand personalities, how to look for certain skill sets. And most importantly, it's not the what I'm hiring for, but the who, because a bad hire is probably one of the most expensive mistakes an, an organization can make. Um, and so it really helps you understand not only types of questions, but really the structure and the methodology, you know, not only as I'm building my team, but a six sense looks to scale and grow. One thing, by the way, I didn't say, and we'll get back to the book in a second, is I didn't describe Sixth Sense at all. And that was a big, big mess on my part. So Sixth Sense is an account engagement platform that helps B2B organizations achieve predictable revenue growth. We actually will talk a little bit about Sixth Sense because um, their product does something that I think a lot of salespeople struggle with. So we'll, we don't talk product deeply. We're mostly going to talk sales, but I think it's useful to talk about a few of those things. On the who side, like everyone knows the what. You, you want to hire people who are, who are driven and who are resilient and who are this and that. What's one thing that you've learned from that book or over your time that you use as a test for those things? Like, how do you test somebody's drive? How do you test when you get a, a handful of interviews with them? Really chemistry, because someone can have all of the right traits and check all the boxes. But if you don't have the right chemistry with that person, you have to spend every single day with them and enjoy it. But one of the questions that I think the book recommends, it's uh, when you're interviewing and you ask them, if or when I speak with your last three managers, how would they rate you one to 10? And it's not if, but when in the affirmative. So they know they have to uh, be honest, right? And anything below a six is basically a zero. And then you start to dig in a little bit more in terms of if it's a seven or an eight, why? And how did that change from manager to manager, role to role? And that really starts to, I think, unpack they sound great, right? Salespeople, especially, we're chatty, we're likable, we know how to pass a good interview test, but what's really underneath the hood and what are they struggling with? And most importantly, where's the room of opportunity? Well, I, I guess we got to turn that around on you, right? Which is what if, what if we asked your manager, how would they describe your secret sauce? It's the, what I call the X factor. People buy from people they like. And so what I'm really now passionate about, and as I sit back, I'm interviewing people, but I also have people on my team really looking and understanding not only what drives them, but what makes them different, right? What's that unique perspective that someone can bring, that X factor, that, that special flavor? Um, for me personally, it's, it's my passion. I've been with Sixth Sense for going on year six 
And I still jump out of bed every day, super excited to bring this product to market. Yeah, I would assume you have your up days and your down days. How, how do you sort of get through those periods when you're not feeling the mojo as much as you usually do? I really do look at the success of our customers that I've brought on board because at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. And it's not about how much money we raise and it's not about what solution, what the solution does. At the end of the day, it's the business results that we deliver. Even if we have, I have an off day and I'll just you know look at some slides or think back to, to a QBR where the goal that we set out to accomplish a year ago is now not only have we realized that goal, we've accomplished it. And now we're on iteration two or three um, of our partnership. Yeah, and Dasha, one of the things you said in, in the early part of your introduction was your attachment and fondness for Challenger Sale. Um, near and dear to my heart, having spent 15 years at CEB, what about the Challenger Sale resonates with you? Um, and the second part of that question, I, I think as a, as a new leader, how will you think about coaching uh, your sellers around the Challenger Sale methodology? You know, I've been reading the Challenger Sale even before I was in sales. Um, I was in sales ops and I was a sales coordinator and I heard all of the sales leaders at the time sort of prescribing to that methodology. And so I went out and I read it and I always wanted to be a challenger. But as I got into my sales career and I reread the book every year. Now, at first I started out as a relationship builder, but as I've grown in my own skill set and because I reread the book every year, it starts to help me understand who I am as a seller and the skill set that I've developed over the years. And the big realization that I came to at the end of the day is I used to think or have a negative connotation to the word challenger. It's almost like you have to be rude and go in and you know challenge a CMO and their perspective. If it's done with respect and led by insights and data, you can then start to shift the way people think. You don't have to be um, you know, an asshole for uh, lack of a better word. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I... I totally agree with that. But how do you think about sort of coaching and, and developing your team and getting them to strengthen that muscle? Because I, I as someone who's been at CEB for a long time, I've heard so often a misrepresentation of challenger, right? Exactly what you said, which is we got to challenge up and they're going to push back and all that, which is not at all what challenger is about, right? It is about teach Taylor take control, right? And so how will you, I guess, how, how will you think about sort of coaching your team and developing them um, to the, the challenger way? Well, the challenger way that teach Taylor to take control, I think it has to come from a place of empathy and really helping your buyers truly understanding you approach it from a consultative perspective, from really driving to an end goal or result rather than, you know, you take control of this deal and you teach them everything that they're doing wrong. I think it's more about painting the vision of what's possible. Because I have this opportunity now where I'm not presenting, I can really see a rep and the deal and the customer engagement from all the different sides. And I have a unique perspective to now really help them start to think and listen. In your mind, and practically for you, how do you mesh discovery with the challenger approach? Yeah, I think, I think you have to do some discovery, but you've done your research, you've done your insights. And so when you are doing that discovery, it's, it's leading with those impact questions. But then you tailor and, and teach and sharing best-in-class examples of other organizations or other leaders and their peers understanding a new foundational go-to-market solution like the Sixth Sense. As a natural segue, you just mentioned the, the unique go-to-market approach. And we, we tend to not talk product too much, but I, I do think it's worth for people who don't know Sixth Sense that well to talk about the following. One of the following problems you guys solve, which is, you know, for years there has been intent signals that are out there. My experience is marketing teams would buy a subscription to something with intent data. And, and that's the best and most useful stuff is I think you guys refer to it or 
if I get her name pronounced correctly, Latine Conant, your um, CMO, has talked about the dark funnel, right? How are you guys using Sixth Sense in order to, you know, truly do the no spam thing? That's the title of her book. The biggest challenge and why I came to this company six years ago, it's this idea of timing. And as a sales rep, working the wrong accounts at the right time or vice versa. I attribute a lot of my success at Sixth Sense to using Sixth Sense to prioritize my time. That's the most valuable thing that, that we have as professionals. And so I want to make sure I'm not just going after an account for the sake of going after an account. Intent is a signal, but what we're looking for is behavior. So taking together and then building a, a custom behavioral-based data that leverages intent to understand who's in market and for what. And ABM can't be done without sales and even customer success and really the revenue team. And, and that's where you know we see the future is the, is the ref tech revolution. It doesn't matter what company you work for. There's not a ton of demo or you know, contact me, I want to buy now demo requests that come from enterprise customers in general. No, definite, definitely not. I think I can certainly relate to the concept of not a lot of hand raisers. It is about sort of sensing the market and, and, and leveraging different channels to understand, to your point, Dasha, what's a good account for me to work right now as an enterprise seller and, and why? And what can I do to partner with marketing to like warm up the marketplace, right? And, and, and you know, make it easier, right, for prospective buyers. Dasha, you have something, uh, I'm changing gears a little bit, you have something in your background that I've noticed uh, a pattern amongst top reps. And maybe it's something I'm, it's like, you know, when when your spouse is expecting, you see babies everywhere. So maybe it's like one of those things for me. You were uh, an account manager, and then you stepped into an SDR role. At, at that point, like your your career just like went into turbo mode. What, what was behind your decision to, to take that quote unquote step back from account manager to SDR? And I'll even go back one more. Uh, before I was an account manager, I was in sales operations. And that's where I supported a global SVP of sales and a CMO um, as a coordinator ops role. Like I kind of designed and created that role for myself. And so I got a really interesting perspective in both the inner workings of a, a chief marketing officer, but also a global sales leader. And I would sit in on all the forecast calls. I became dashboard Dasha because of all the dashboards and reports that I filled and supported the individual segment and regional leaders. And I, you know, in a lot of ways knew more about the business than even our CEO sometimes, because I could tell you every deal that was slipping or that was coming in. Uh, but I recall sitting on the sidelines. I wanted to play, right? Put me in coach. But I knew I couldn't go do that at this large supply chain company. And I knew I wanted to be in sales. And um, I was recruited to go do sales operations and start an account management function. I got an opportunity to experience what it's like doing upsells and cross-sells and renewals and talking to customers without carrying a quota of, of a net new business rep. And when I met Sixth Sense, I wanted an account executive role. And at the time, they were looking for reps, five, seven years of experience. Um, one of my mentors at the time said, you've got to learn the basics. You've got to learn how to hunt, got to learn how to qualify. You know, I took a conscious step to not only come at to Sixth Sense, I took a $30,000 pay cut. Uh, I moved home with mom, uh, gave up my car, and I set out to really crush and learn everything that I possibly could as a BDR. And that skill set today, you know, I, I can't imagine not, not being a BDR. It has really set the foundation for my success long term. What do you see next? <laughs> you know, I guess I'm curious. Obviously, you're sort of you're, you're somewhat new into this role, leading your team in the East. I guess what skills are you excited to acquire in this new role? 
the vision that I have is I want to build different kind of team, cultivate a place of growth. The one thing I said to my team is I don't like surprises. Don't be, don't ever be afraid to bring anything to me. Let's just solve it together. There are no weaknesses. There are just opportunities for improvement. And so I am really thinking through creating agents of change. How are you guys structured now? What do your enterprise AEs do responsibility-wise? Yeah, well, today they are responsible. Uh, they are paired two to one to a BDR, but they're responsible for you know generating their own meetings, their own pipeline. As much as I love the, the BDR role, I think BDRs are a luxury. We're lucky to have them. And so for us, going back to how do we prioritize and then how do we go engage in meaningful ways and drum up our own opportunities. So there are CSMs that are assigned for onboarding, implementation, QBRs, but the the enterprise reps do hang on to the accounts. So they are responsible for upsell and cross-sell within the account. Um, And that really, you know, drives, I think, just the overall adoption and making sure that we don't just sell a deal. We have a partnership and a long-term partnership if the rep stays on the account. You've mentioned QPRs a couple of times, and it's that's something that's been very top of mind for Sales Loft and for me personally, since I've been doing some project work there. To what extent are your AEs actually involved in the QBRs? Do they develop them? Do they deliver them? Or is that all the responsibility of your CSM? It's a partnership. I'd say they're on the hook for about 20% of the content or the, the strategy. I like to think that the best kind of QBRs with a customer are is every QBR is different. It's an additional experience that we can provide to our customer. And it's not just six cents delivering, but it's also our customers sharing their success, their journey, and their vision for what's to come forward. You know, one of the things that, that we are thinking about as we grow our enterprise leadership team at SalesLoft is our internal QBRs. So we do QBRs with our teams uh, once a quarter, right, to reflect on achievements and accomplishments, what worked in the prior quarter and planning for going forward. Any tips for best practices for internal QBRs with enterprise teams? We're, I think, also still trying to figure that out. We've moved away a little bit from having 20 reps sit through each other's presentations. We're really focused more on enablement during those QBRs. A rep will have a a slide or two, their go big number. And more importantly, from a fun perspective, you know, once they hit their quota, once they hit that go big number, what do they want to do with it? And so it starts to humanize the QBR. Really, how do we enable? How do we look at some lessons that we learned over the last quarter, both wins and losses, and then think about what really drives each individual? Well, I love that point, Dasha, about QBRs. Um, It reminds me actually very much of the story that our prior CRO, um, Sean Murray, uh, used to talk all the time about this concept of what he called a silver bike. The, The story and the analogy was all about finding the why, like finding what is it tangibly that drives someone. And it was an old story, who knows if it's even true, about Bill Gates getting an early programmer to stay at Microsoft because you know, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the opportunity there. The guy really wanted this bike. And he's like, I'll buy you the bike. <laughs> and I got him to stay. But I love that idea and that tip of not only reflecting on what you did well in the last quarter, what were your outcomes, what, what goals are you setting for yourself? But what are you going to do to reward yourself when that comes in, right? What are you really working towards? Um, and I love that idea that it humanizes. It humanizes not only the sellers, but I can imagine a world where when that seller achieves that goal, there's so much excitement and enthusiasm for what the rest of the team knows that means for that person, whether it's like a down payment, 
you know, something towards a down payment on a house or some sort of vacation or something that they're really sort of a big ticket item or maybe an opportunity to help a family member, just any sort of outcome like that, I think is, I love that idea. And it's something I want to implement too. It's really special. Shifting back into like, you know, your learning trajectory, who have you looked at as the person to beat or the mentor to learn from that has guided your journey? You know, a couple of people come to mind. Pablo Pollard, who is a SVP of sales. He's been a sales leader for a long time. He was at Salesforce for a long time. He's one of the reasons I came to Sixth Sense. And really, he, you know, gave me this idea of wanting to build a different team. We're not just here to sell. We're here to deliver great experiences. I'm going to ask a super naive question to the both of you. Is the harder thing about being a woman in sales internal or customer facing? Maybe a little bit of both. Yeah, maybe a little of both. And I will say also, I and Dasha, I don't know how you feel about this. I feel like there's actually so much support and momentum for women in sales right now. Like I just feel like there's so much awareness. There are so many different groups dedicated to women in sales. There's so many events dedicated to it. There's so much, there's so many panels and opportunities for mentorship, finding a mentor, finding a mentee. Um, I mean, as someone who started in my career in 2001, it feels very different now. And that's not to say that there aren't strides to be made, right? Because if you look at the number of women who are obviously female-led teams are outperforming, right? Uh, teams with more women on them are outperforming quantitatively. We're still lacking at the top levels. Like there's still not enough female CROs. There's still not enough female VPs of enterprise sales and things like that. There's still more work to be done. But as I think about it, I'm inspired by the peers that I work with at Salesloft um, and in many of our partner organizations like Six Sense and in the women that are coming up the ranks. Like there's just so much to be inspired by as a woman in sales. And I, I don't know, like more work to be done, but maybe a little bit of both, but also I think a lot of momentum um, and positivity behind women today. I don't know, Dasha, what do you think? I agree. I also think it's the industry that we're in. We're selling to a very specific sort of market. You know, when you think about security or supply chain on others, I think there's even less and less women. Um, When I was at a big supply chain company, there was only one female solutions consultant on a team of 100 plus. But I, I agree. I think there's a lot of support. And I'm not sure I even think about my gender that much in the professional world. I know when I was coming to Sixth Sense and, and I made the, the choice to leave my, uh, my employer then, someone pulled me aside and said, you shouldn't do it. You're going to be selling to marketing and there's women in marketing and they're not going to want to listen or buy from a younger woman. And I just thought that was complete bullshit, to be honest. I, I actually fully agree with you, Dasha. I don't think too much about my gender, um, certainly. And I'm, and you're right. The, if I think about the ICP that we're selling into, it sells left and sells left. Uh, it sells left in six cents. I am intentional about working hard to bring women into enterprise sales roles and be and thinking a lot about that portfolio approach to building teams and making sure that I have diverse teams. And I do have more male candidates than females in my talent pipeline. Like that's just a thing. That's a whole probably other podcast on, uh, you know, why women stay where they are in some way, in some ways. But I am with you in that I don't think about it other than as I'm looking at my team, I do think, okay, I want to make sure I have balance here. And that balance. And then how do we inspire more young women to go into sales? I always said, you know, one day I'll write a book about a career or to inspire little little girls and, and young women and teenagers to really think about embracing being a sales leader and a sales professional. And so I think through taking my BDRs that have worked for me in the past and one, not only prioritizing hiring female, you know, 
course, um, but coaching and mentoring them. And even those outside of my organization, Drift and others uh, who have sort of up and coming rock stars who I can invest my time in as we look to add more women into sales and, and progress sort of who we are. Well, I got to give a plug for uh, for John Barrow's book when you said that, because he wrote a book with his daughter called I Want to Be in Sales When I Grow Up. It's got a picture, I think, of probably of, uh, like a sketch of his daughter on the cover. So I, I think that's awesome. And I also talked earlier today with uh, Nikki Mitzenmeyer, who's over at Snowflake, and she's a young woman in sales, just you know, starting out as a commercial AE. You know, She said one of the instrumental things for her was that there was a class, a class in sales there. And they had connected her with uh, industry, a person in industry, and that person in industry, you know, like kind of mentored her. Well, you use the word better was mentor them, sponsored her, right? That's the better word, I think. That's sort of the better relationship. Well, brilliant. We're, we're almost out of time. I've often asked people like, "Are you hiring?" I know you're hiring. I ask them like, "How to get in touch?" Everyone says LinkedIn. So I'm going to ask you a different question, which is: Imagine you were forced to retire, like someone told you you could not work again, and uh, what would you do with your time? You know, I think about that often. Um, <laughs> as much as I love Sixth Sense, what is this other world that I could potentially live in? Um, I would love to take a few years off and go travel and learn how to dance, learn how to paint, explore hobbies, use a different part of my brain. Um, and then let's pretend, you know, I had all the money in the world or at least enough to be comfortable and to live comfortably. Um, it would probably have to do with something around helping young women, helping young girls around education and around really just, you know, a humanitarian aspect where there's, there's more good to be done in the world. How about you? I don't even know. I should have asked you this over cocktails at some point, Mandy. How about you? How about you? What would you do? You know, it's so funny. We asked that on a, on a trivia night for my new team recently. And I was like, I'd lead sales teams. Like, I love it. <laughs> I'm forcing you to retire. Like, you can't even do it for free. No no pro bono sales leadership. I have two kids. So it's been time with, with Gray and Hayes. But yeah, I mean, travel would certainly be up there as a, a mom with two young kids and, and a crazy job. It's been a long time since I read a book. Right. I mean, I, I skim things. I read recaps of things. I used to be a voracious reader. I was a history major and I read so many books. I love like this concept of just going and sitting somewhere and reading for a, a defined period of time it is not something I've done in probably years. And so I would love to do something like that. Well, s- savor the time. Minor, minor, you know, big and I can read again. So for me, I, I don't know if it's cheating because I, I would want to teach high school math and computer science, but. That's pro bono working, I guess, right? So I guess I, otherwise I would fish and I weave. So I would fish and weave all day, I suppose. Dasha, thanks so much for being on. It was such a pleasure to catch up with you. Likewise. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Mandy, for having me. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.